0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information.
1: We have been in a series uh, that will be drawing to a close in a few weeks here entitled More Than a Song, and we've been taking apart the different um, songs, different hymns as well as contemporary songs and how they're rooted in Scripture, and what the meaning is behind that. And so um, today we're going to be talking uh, about Great is Thy Faithfulness, an old hymn, but we're going to do a little twist on that as we go along, and uh, hopefully you'll see that as well. And so what you're going to be regaled to for uh, the offering is just the first two verses of Great is Thy Faithfulness, and then we'll have that conversation. So until then, though, Father, we come before you, and Lord, we have received much at your hand, grace, health, so many other things. So Lord, we pause for a moment in our worship and we move beyond just a song and we give back to you just a fraction, literally a portion only, of what you've given to us. And we give you thanks, we honor you, and we praise that it to be used for your purposes with wisdom and integrity to draw others to you as well. We commit these things into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Great is Thy faithfulness. Great.
1: How many of you recognize that song? Curiosity. Okay. Much of you have from one time or another. Those of you that haven't heard, that's fine enough. We've been exploring these songs, and I said we began with A Mighty Fortress is Our God, a song that's 500 years old, yet the church is still singing today, rooted in the Reformation and an attempt to reform the church. Um, We talked about after that, In Christ Alone, a song that is creedal, it's about creeds, it's about belief and what we believe and singing that out and speaking that out. Then we went into Holy, 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 one of the fantastic hymns from times past that talks about the character of God. Last week, we discussed it as well, both the original as well as an updated version of what that is. Um, that talks about God's presence and how no matter what else is going on, there can be a settledness in us. Today, we go back again to the character of God. So many songs today tend to be um, about us and focused on us. And um, I think real worship actually focuses more on God. Um, And we need to think about the words and the lyrics of what we sing. There is a song that we have sung in this church and we'll sing it again. And the, the lyrics are really very good with one exception. That's the title and one of the refrains in there. And so the next time you sing the song, I guess I'd I'd ask you to think consciously of what you're singing and and maybe interpret it a little bit different, which I think we tend to do anyways. There's a song called Reckless Love, and again, it's a wonderful song. But when it talks about the reckless love of God, the actual definition of reckless means thoughtless, um, not caring what anyone else thinks, and it has implications of uh, irresponsibility behind it. Now, I don't think we're presenting that on Christ as we're singing that song. I think what we're trying to say is, you know, he leaves the 99 for one. He's willing to do all these things in reaching out for us and, and, and that's, that's fine. But we should never give a, the idea that there's a thoughtlessness behind Christ's sacrifice um, ever. He was very thoughtful, very intentional, very specific about that. And so it's just one example, again, not to trash the song out for you, so next time you're singing, well, oh, I just throw a song out for me. Um, but we need to think about the words. Now, this one that we're looking at here today um, is "Graze Act Faithfulness. It was written by a guy named Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. Thomas Obadiah Chisholm. It won't surprise you to find out this guy was born in Kentucky, okay? (laughs) In a little log cabin. Nothing wrong with that, all right? Um, Good guy for the most part. Never really uh, achieved some fantastic items. In fact, he bounced around quite a bit from journalism to insurance to ministry to different roles and different positions had ups, he had downs, he had illness, he had other items. But a passage of scripture was particularly important to him. And it was out of this passage of scripture when he really felt and saw in his own life and believed strongly that this song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, uh, came out of. And we find it in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies or his compassions never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And that term steadfast love is from a Hebrew term called hesed. We'll talk about that in a moment of time. And so this this scripture was so important to him, and he found it to be true that despite all the ups and downs and illnesses or job changes and everything else, that he found that, that God was present and that every morning there'd be a new sense of his awareness and a provisioning that would take place. And so out of that, he wrote... This song, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. There's no change in you. In fact, he specifically says, thou changest not. Thy compassions, their mercies, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I've needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, to me. I think you see how closely linked to the scripture this is. Summer and winter and springtime and harvest is the next verse. Sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. So, all the seasons and throughout all the time, God's presence, and they all testify. And then the last verse is pardon for sin and a peace that endureth. Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, your presence in the midst of things. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings all mine, with 10,000 beside. It's a fantastic song and rooted deeply, as we find, in scripture. And the concept of faithfulness, we apply it to marriage, we can apply it to a variety of different things. The Marine Corps, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. We've got old faithful out at, uh, you know, the Yellowstone there so that I think isn't actually quite as regular and faithful as people think anymore. I think there's some time change going on with that as far as how often it is. But steadiness, faithfulness, it's an important feature. And that's what the songwriter goes into play on. We find uh, it's reinforced in 2 Timothy chapter two, verse 13. And this passage, to me is a very important passage, and maybe one of the few ones that catches your eye today here, but if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we are faithless, he still remains faithful. There's a book in the Bible in the Old Testament, the book of uh, Hosea, where God comes to a prophet. And he says, look, at, to illustrate my relationship with Israel and really mankind, I want you to play the part of me, and I want you to marry this woman who had the very unfortunate name of Gomer, which for those in times past who would remember an old television show called Gomer Pyle, a ridiculous little figure. And so was she in some ways. Um, she had some issues, and sex addiction seemed to be one of those. And so she ran away from him on at least three occasions that we can see, and and at least one of those occasions, if not more, she actually went into a life of prostitution. There's implications, not implications. It's clear at one point in time, he literally has to buy his wife out of prostitution, pay his pimp to uh, redeem her, if you will. Now, it's particularly striking because in that time period, uh, something like that that took place would have meant the execution of the individual under the law, uh, under God's own law. And so it's interesting that that each time Hosea is to bring her back and actually to pay for her and redeem her. And God is trying to illustrate this is his love for us. And this is one of the reasons why, as a sidebar here, why marriage and the definition of marriage is so important and why even gender is so important, just touching briefly. Because, Because God uses that as an illustration of his relationship to the church. We're his bride. He's the groom. That's what he's trying to say in the book of Hosea and in other places throughout Scripture. When you bend those or change those, then you change the whole concept of how God's trying to interact with us and relate to us. That's a much deeper subject than we have time for today, and so if I just turned you off and you want to walk away, that's your choice. But there's a deeper issue behind this. But that's not our conversation today. And Today, it's talking about how he remains faithful even though we don't. That even though Gomer didn't, Hosea did on behalf of God. That always catches me. That, that alone is something we could spend a lot of time on, that he's faithful to us when we're not. For he can't deny himself or his own nature. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And so we can hold fast, we can have hope in Christ because of his faithfulness. Here's the twist for today. I'm not wanting us too much to focus. In fact, we've pretty much now covered um, Great is Thy Faithfulness as a song. And it's rich, and it has history. There's been an updated version, if you will, of this, though, that takes us a little deeper and and more profound in the character of God. And it's that I'd like to focus with you today. It's entitled Promises. We've sung it, and we're going to sing it at the conclusion of this service here today. this, This particular song is rich and deep in biblical truth. It begins with the first verse, kind of low and quiet as it builds. God of Abraham. You're the God of covenant. So it goes back and says the same God that Abraham worshipped and Isaac and Jacob, it's no one. It's just the, the, the general spirit of the sky. There's root in history. There's roots in relationship. In God of Abraham, you're a God of covenant, of faithful promises. Time and time again, you've proven you'll do just what you said. So it invokes covenant along with Abraham's name, faithful promises, and over time, the proof of things. Well, covenant is an agreement, or a pack between two or more people, and God made various covenants with mankind. We find initially with Noah, after the flood, that he puts the rainbow, which originally meant a relationship with God and a proof that he would not um, again destroy the world by water. There's the Abraham covenant, that through his seed, through his descendants, God's going to make a nation, and everybody on the earth was going to be blessed. He makes the Mosaic covenant with Moses, Um, that God's going to establish a law for the Israelites to follow, the the covenant with David, uh, King David, that God would establish an heir from his descendants that would reign on his throne forever. And then there's also something called a new covenant that God is going to make. And we find that each of these promises, many others, were kept over the centuries. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham, through whom all nations are blessed because of his sacrifice. Jesus comes to fulfill that law, not to abolish it. Jesus is a descendant of David and would rule on the throne of David forever, that heir. And Jesus himself establishes a new covenant between himself and mankind, which includes Israel and all of us. In fact, one way of talking about things is not only the Old Testament, but the old covenant. The New Testament, a new covenant, a more complete covenant. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we get a foretaste of what's to come. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. Again, that refrain declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel at that time. After that time, I will put my law in their minds and I'm going to write it on their hearts, and I'll be their God and they will be my people. Jesus comes along. And he fulfills all of that. In the time period that Jesus comes, priests would go into the temple annually, sometimes even daily, to offer sacrifices over and over again, slaughtered animals. And they had to do it over and over again because none of them were perfect. But when Christ comes, he dies on that cross. He's the perfect sacrifice. He's also our high priest who intercedes for us. So Hebrews chapter 10 says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They were just a placeholder. But when this priest had offered, this priest being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the God. He was done. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I'll make with them. And now he quotes from Jeremiah. After that time, says the Lord, I'll put my laws in their hearts, and I'll write them on their minds. And so this is fulfilled, this whole new covenant, this whole passage, God of Abraham, you're a God of covenant, a faithful promises time and again, you've proven, you will do just what you said. It's just strongly drawn from Scripture. We go into the pre-chorus then, and the pre says, though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. I think we've had more storms, it seems like, and tougher ones in recent time than any other time. And I, I, I again, I applaud all the hardworking DTE people, but man, the power just seems to go out on a regular basis around here. These storms blow, and we can go in the dark, or, or we can have metaphorical ones where we have serious losses and storms that have blown out parts of our lives overwhelmed us. This says, though, I'll remain steadfast. Well, it's drawing off of Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is saying, Therefore anyone who hears these words of mine puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. So the writer says... Those storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast because I'm rooted on Christ I'm rooted on the foundation of scripture and that's the lens through which I view the storms and the circumstances the losses or the gains that are surrounding me The chorus goes on and says let my heart learn let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass and so it continues on in Numbers chapter 23, 19. It says, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Have you ever been lied to anybody? You just don't realize it then, I guess, I'm telling you. <laughs> All right? Next one, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have lied? I didn't ask you to raise your hand, because the reality is, is that, that everyone's going to raise their hand except for the liars. <laughs> Amen. God is not a man. He is not just an extension of who we are. He's not like the Olympian gods. He is alien. He is other. He is different. There's no one else like him. He's not a man that he should lie or a son of a man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Has he not spoken and will he not fulfill it? Joshua 21. It says not one word of all the good promises that the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed all came to pass all came to pass let my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass because historically that's what's happened this is the character of God that we're discussing then it goes into the chorus the chorus says, great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting same, a change of seasons and times. I'll praise your name. Kind of invoking the, the other writers, um, sun, moon, and stars, and the change of the seasons. Great is your faithfulness to me. Finally, Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, for I, the Lord, do not change. I just don't. Other things will change. Other things will shift in our society and our world. Things that we even can't keep up with sometimes. Our relationships, our lives, our bodies, they change. We have a friend one day and then somehow they're not there anymore. They're not our friend any longer. Job's here today and gone tomorrow. But the scripture says the Lord doesn't change. My wife and I, when we travel, she likes going to new places, and I do too. I love the new experience, but I also like going back to a place that I've been to before. There's something peaceful about going to a place that I've been in it's still there, and they're usually natural places, Monterey, Carmel, something like that. And I walk the same path that I've walked for 30 years, and the path is still there, and there's something reassuring about the lack of change. But the reality is is that that's not how most of the world works. Things change all the time. I went back when I, to where I, I was raised as a kid for the first couple of years of my life in Lansing, Michigan. My father was a pastor of a small church there. I go back and visited a couple of years ago, and the church that was there has moved into another building, another place that the church that I grew up in is, is now a Masonic Lodge. And, and the parsonage, and parsonages were, were a horrible idea that I think came out of the mind of Satan. Um, for pastors and the idea was the church owned a home and and you would live in that home so instead of $30,000 they'd give you $20,000 but you had free housing Horrible idea because not only was it right next to the church, and everyone felt they owned the building. So literally, I'm not kidding this. I'm sitting as a child in the, in the bathtub. My mother had started the thing, and then went down to do some of the wash. Was going to come back up. There's a knock on our door. My mom doesn't hear it. There's another knock on the door. And the next thing I know is whoever it was opens the door, walks in, peers into the bathroom in my nakedness, and says, "Where's your mom?" I screamed and I attacked. No, I just sat there in my basement. Oh, okay. Goes Parsonages were a horrible idea, and especially because when you leave a church, which in that case we did, and not in the best setup at that time, you lose your job as a pastor, you lose your home, and you lose your church family all at one time. Parsonages were founded in the mind of Satan. <laughs> but I go back, and that's all changed. The place I grew up, trees that are down. The house is now different. A lot of what would have been my history isn't there any longer. But the Lord doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It doesn't change. And he's not a man that he should lie. He's faithful. He's true. He's solid. He's there. Verse 2, quickly, God, from age to age, though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. So from age to age, and the earth may pass away, Isaiah chapter 41, who has performed and done this, calling the generations... From the beginning, generations were beginning, "I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He." All through the time. Psalm 90, verse two, "Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Revelations chapter one, verse eight. "I am the alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end," says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's just solid. From age to age, the earth may pass away. Your word remains the same. And then finally, finally, the bridge. The bridge. I put my faith in Jesus and a strange little line. My anchor to the ground. My hope and firm foundation, he'll never let me go. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor to the ground. Another song of the old classic says, My anchor holds within the veil. And this is drawn, actually, from that same passage, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the interplace behind the curtain. Another translation says beyond the veil. What this whole passage is referencing, and even this in part in that other song, is this. The Holy of Holies would have stood um, in the temple in Jerusalem behind a, a multi-foot thick veil that would have been maybe 50 feet high or so. Only the high priest could go in and only once a year to offer sacrifice. And he had a little rope around his ankle and little bells on his, on his clothing. And if they stopped tinkling at one point in time, someone knew that he had some sin that had been unresolved before he went in and he was struck dead, in which case they dragged him out and the next person in line would go and you hope that they're really prayed up. And so this veil separated everyone from the, the presence of God who'd rest on the Ark of the Covenant, the Shekinah glory of God. But when Christ dies, that he, he offers his, himself as a sacrifice. The, the veil is torn in two from the top to the bottom. God is the one that just shreds it. So we now have access. You don't need a priest or a pastor in order to talk to God, nor do I. We have direct relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, And knowing that is where this passage is. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. My soul is anchored and rooted, whatever happens, because Christ entered into behind the veil. And so we have now this solidness. And then it comes back again to Matthew 7 about building the house on the rock. I put my faith in Jesus, my anchor in the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He will never let me down. So now, having read all that, we come back to the beginning. Lamentations in chapter 3. steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end. And as I said, that word steadfast, it means um, hesed in the Hebrew. It can involve mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness. All those are translated in Scripture from this word. Hesed is not merely an emotion or feeling. It involves actions on behalf of someone who is in need. Hesed describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful and compassionate behavior towards another. Hesedness translates out, as they said, love, faithfulness, unfailing love, faithful love, steadfast love, loyal love. Hesed motivates one person, the superior in a relationship. Or, more powerful party to supply critical need to the lesser or the weaker person. That's what that term means. Hesed, or loving kindness, surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. It's the inclination of the heart to show amazing grace to the one who is loved. It runs deeper than social expectations and responsibilities, fluctuating emotions, or what is deserved or earned by the recipient. Hesed finds its home in committed, deep, love, and its life in actions. We find the message of the gospel, God's act of forgiveness and salvation in Christ is rooted in chesed. His forgiveness of sin fulfills a need that's basic to all of us. And so when this passage of Scripture is talking about the Hesed, the loving kindness of God, the mercy and compassion, it's saying that there's something that underpins us, that is passionate, not reckless, but passionate and driving in its love and in its care for us. And even when we don't sense it, it's supporting and upholding us. Years back, I, I, I read one time of a swimming instructor and, and he said this. He spent a lot of time. He said, I spent a lot of time trying to get little kids to float. And I would tell them to put their ears in the water and their belly buttons out of it. In other words, they're on their back. And I'd say, When I count to two, you won't feel my hands underneath you. So he's holding them. But they're there. So he's just, you know how it is, folks. You just, parent, parents, you just drop your hand away. But you let them float there for we get used to it. You won't feel my hands underneath, but they're there. And as soon as I would say, one, and the moment I say two, most of the children would frantically jerk their knees towards their chins and flail their arms, dropping their full weight into my hands. You know how that is? You, you lose surface tension. And so you just drop in. He said this, almost all people float when they assume a posture of rest. But people who think they'll sink don't keep that posture for long. So at Rest. With his hands underneath, we float. And faith is about a posture of rest, too. A lot of us are terrified by that. We always need to feel the support of a steady job or of steady relationships and backup plans. And God knowing all that, he signed us up for swimming lessons. God intends to make a swimmer of us. He's teaching us to rely on him through what appears to be disaster, through what appears to be devastating loss, that we would know his character, that he's not like us. Our God is faithful even when we're not. And so, before we sing this, I have to give you full contextualization and in full disclosure and your warning was up front that this original passage in the original song and in this updated version called Promises is rooted in Lamentations chapter 3 and you may not understand what that means but Lamentations means to lament and the definition of to lament a general definition is a passionate expression of grief and sorrow A biblical definition is a prayer expressing sorrow, pain, or confusion. So I tried to warn you that the song that is greatly focused on the character of God is rooted in lamentation. So before these other verses, let me put it in context. Lamentations chapter 3. I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his faith, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He's made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He's made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He's made my chains heavy. And though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked. He's like a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow, and he drove it into my kidneys, the arrows of his quiver one after the other. I've become the laughingstock of all the people, the object of their taunts all day long. He's filled me with bitterness and sated me with wormwood. He's made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. And then verse 21, it continues. In the midst of all that he's talking about. But this I call to mind. But this I call to mind in the midst of all the darkness all the pain all the sorrow all the shredding all that's happening all the guilt whatever else is driving this individual but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope and it's here that we find what that hope is for this person it's found in the character of God the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope in him. That's verse 24. There are a total of 66 verses in that chapter. And while the first third, not quite the third... As the darkness that we just spoke of, the bulk of it is something radically different. I don't know if you find yourself identifying with that passage or not. I don't know if you struggle with your own faithless actions or those of others that have lied and twisted you or your own words into lies. But I do know that the character of God doesn't change. That His mercies are new every morning; that they are faithful even when we're not, and that's something that we can lean into. So, this morning, before we conclude, would you pray with me, Father? We come before You, and I lift up to You right now everyone in this room, or listening to this now, Father, in the atrium or in streaming or wherever. God, it feels like they are in the midst of that storm. That. That they find themselves thrashing instead of floating on the water peacefully. That Father, that this morning they would have a new glimpse of Your character, of Your nature, of who You are, and that You're unchanging, that Your Hesed love, Your loving kindness, Your compassions, Your mercies—they don't cease, they don't end. And this morning, as you, as we praise You for that character trait of Yours, God we would receive it, I pray you would receive it today from us and that we would reaffirm our understanding of who you are and find the same peace that the writer of Lamentations 3 found. This we ask this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now here's your instruction for the day and it's much simpler than last week. All I'm going to ask you to do is the choir sings. They're going to sing a bit of the original song and I'm going to ask you just to receive that just to receive it. But then we're going to transition into this song, Promises. And I'm going to step forward and I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to sing with it, but now with a real consciousness of what is. And then the rest of it's easy. There's nothing else. Just sing it all the way through and and lean into the presence of God. Let's let them just share this first portion and establish the the history and the foundation before we enter into that new thing.
0: Mm Amen. Kill
1: Lamentations 3, 23. Put it back up there again, guys. Lamentations 3. You got up there still? No? There we go. I knew you could do it. I want us to read this together and let this be our closer today. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His, his mercies, mercies never, never come, come to an end. end. His mercies what? Never come to an end. And the steadfast love of the Lord what? Never ceases. Don't forget it. In the midst of whatever laments you find yourself in, rests in his character there be those available to pray with you, uh, if you still choose to afterwards, you can come up for prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for, for people that grew up in little log cabins in Kentucky, that had an image of your character that we can still revel in today. We commit these things to our hearts and our minds, Father. Continue to let it grow in us as the week progresses. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, and the church said, Amen. Amen.